the fastest growing church uh, in many parts of the world, uh, <clears throat> as well as here, is the non-church. The, f <laughs> yeah. the fastest growing church in many parts of the world, and including here, is the non-church. That is to say, those who have not lost faith in God, have not lost faith in Jesus, but because the fact that that scripture that Daniel read has not been completed, they have lost faith in the visible organized church. If you read that scripture again, there's a purpose behind all of that, and it was to transmit a truth that the world has not seen. And that is a major issue. Let's get back to that a little bit later. <laughs> I say it because of the text that you read, right? Yeah. Um, somebody asked me if I would just briefly say something about, you know, who we are or what we're doing or anything else. And I said no. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I'll just uh, briefly state that uh, you know, we, we spent our first 30 years in the United States where the Lord was, was forming us in one aspect, and then we have spent the last 40 years in Chile where the Lord has continued to form us in another aspect, and we're going to spend the last 30 years in... Uh, <laughs> you laugh! <laughs> Hey, you're almost here, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to spend the last 30 years in, in, in Portalicia. Where's Portalicia? Eso. <laughs> Porque the, it's, uh, because the Lord, the Lord spoke, to, spoke to me. Uh, I was in Germany visiting my daughter one morning <clears throat> before uh, I woke and uh, I, I received a vision. God sent a man to speak to me in a vision and told me to, to include Portugal in what we're doing in southern Galicia. And as a result, that has changed the direction completely of our life and our ministry and, and even has made some impact on the, on the church in, in Chile, obviously. Uh, they are also growing through this... Um, prolonged absence that we will be living with him. John's been through that. He knows what that's about. And the church in Porto Alegre, uh, Porto Alegre knows what this is about. It's, <clears throat> I, I actually think it's harder for the church to lose a member of the ministry than it is for the missionary to leave and go to a new place. I, I, really, I really do. I, I, I pray that you would pray for the church in Chile. You know? We work with Christian Romo, and we'll continue to do so. We don't plan on moving permanently to either Galicia or Portugal. Must spend perhaps up to a half a year in one place and a half a year in the other place just serving the churches that exist. I don't have a vision for starting a new church. Unless God does that, that's his problem, not mine. I plan on just serving him. And he said, come and help us. And he didn't say how. He didn't say why. He didn't say where. He didn't say when. He just said, come. And uh, so I have no idea what we're doing, but we just spent three weeks in Portugal getting to know Porto, uh, a really delightful city. 
And that's where we are. Um, Leif, where are you? The conference could have ended on Thursday night. <laughs> and it would have been a complete conference. I, I really want to thank you for that, for that word. Wow. I was warned. I was warned about your message. But I wasn't prepared for it. No. No, not at all. No. I discovered a lot of things as, as Leif spoke. Uh, one of them is that I'm a Bible teacher, but perhaps I'm not a good Bible student. The other one is that I, I am a discipler. We disciple people. But I need to be discipled. And that was a word, a clear word from God, uh, a discipleship word. Yeah, a word of life. It was really good. I have, I have a lot of prayers that haven't been answered. <clears throat> and now I figured out it's a no-brainer to figure out why they haven't been answered. I mean, if you read Peter, you know, <laughs> he said, you idiot, you want your prayers answered? Treat her right. And somehow, that didn't calculate <laughs> until Thursday. I, I, re I really pray. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. No? And that was one of them, right? And John, in his message, um, first of all, I, I, I want to say how much I appreciate John, uh, his welcome, and the brothers here. Uh, I honestly, um, I, don't, I don't feel like an invited guest this time. I feel like uh, we're all part of a team and uh, they have gone out of their way to make me feel that way. They really have. And I, I really appreciate uh, uh, Danielle. Uh, his wife is babysitting my wife. <laughs> uh, I think. <laughs> I don't know how that's working out, but yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. But there's something I wanted to mention about Jan's message yesterday, okay? Um, this might shock some of you, or it might not. I have seen demons in Sweden. <laughs> I had an encounter with them one night. Uh -huh. In no shepping. In my bedroom. I have also seen them in Germany. And I'm not one of those, like, like John said, that's at the extreme that behind every bush there's a demon. No. <laughs> But I have seen them. The, the first case, which was in North Shepping, a total ministry was destroyed as a result of that. A total ministry was totally removed from a congregation where the kingdom was, was manifesting itself. It was coming in. They were coming into the kingdom, into the lordship of Jesus. After that night, and I shared it with the church, Slowly, one by one, all the ministry team was removed from that church. And the other occasion just happened not too long ago. I was in Germany, uh, my daughter's house, and I, I like to go out at night after the evening meal and walk a long way. And on one of those occasions, 
I was actually followed by demons. And the curious thing was, somebody said, well, how did you figure that out? I saw this light shining past me. And I'm in the middle of nowhere because Larissa lives north of Hamburg out into the forest land and the country land by Grosshansdorf. And, and uh, there, was, there was nobody. It was late at night. There was no, and I turned around to look to see who, who was following me, and there wasn't anybody. And I turned around, and the light was still there. And I turned around looking in, and there was nobody there. And somebody told me, he said, ah, but the devil doesn't use light. That's not true. That's not true. And as I turned the corner, I could actually feel his presence. I wasn't scared. But I was aware. And I've had encounters with that type of thing. And I only mention it just so that perhaps if that's not been your life experience, you can open yourself up to the fact that we are in spiritual warfare, like it or not. What were the other three? There were three of those. Like it? Huh? Understand it or not? Believe it or not? Yeah, right. It's real, man. It's real. That's where you are. You see, you live in a double dimension. You are not essentially body. Man, above all things, is spirit. When you finish your life here, your body's going to terminate for a while. Your spirit's going to go on. You're going to be the same the day after your funeral as you were the day before, except you're not going to have a body, your earthly body. You live in another dimension, but that's not an eternal reality. It's a present reality. You live in a double dimension now. Angels are here now. When we worship God, we can contemplate his face now. That's a present reality. When we contemplate Jesus... Why is it that we are transformed into his likeness? It's because it's a likeness we can perceive. It's a likeness that is very precious to us. And that's other dimension that is not visible but is real is more real than the dimension that you can see with your physical eyes. And there is traffic, excuse the word, but there is traffic between that dimension and this dimension. There is. And we've got to realize that our life in Christ is not only a life on the earth. A big problem the church has is it lives its life, oh gosh, here I need a word in English. <laughs> in Spanish, it's pegado al suelo. ¿Cómo sería? Help me. Pegado al piso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cemented to the ground. Yeah, attached to the ground. Yeah. That's not your life. You're not from this world, you're not of this world, and you don't belong to this world. But it's not a futuristic vision. 
This isn't something for after I die. It started the day Jesus gave you new life. Because you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, not your body. No. Your spirit was dead. And he gave you life in the spirit. And your spirit became one spirit with his. Now, that's Paul, that's Corinthians. Your spirit became one spirit with his. Now, that's the holy marriage. And that's where we live. And in that other dimension, there are demons. There are, there are forces of darkness. But there's also good. Tremendous good. Just read in Hebrews chapter 11. You haven't come up to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Sion. And he tells you who's in Mount Sion. Millions and millions of angels in joyful assembly before God. Jesus is there. All of the saints before us, they're there. That's real, man. That's real. That's you. That's me. And I, I really appreciate that. It had a, I didn't mean to re-preach your sermon, but, but it, had a, it has a real impact if we can see it on our, our daily lives. And we don't have to be afraid. <laughs> because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And he has nothing to do with us. And he obeys our commands. And so if you come up against things like what John was mentioning, like depression and discouragement and, and even illness and things like he has to obey our commands. Amen. Go away. Go away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks, John. That, that was really, a, it really was. It was tremendous. I feel really humbled and honored to be here today. From what I can see and hear, uh, many of you should be here today, and I should be there. Uh, You're having experiences led by God in new territories. It's really, really exciting, really tremendous. When when, uh, Doniel was talking about the church, (laughs) rediscover the real church, uh, you're into that. Some of you are into that really heavy. And that's really, really, really good. Um, as most, as all of you are aware of, I, 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 I come to you today in, in weakness, both physically, <laughs> but spiritually. Um, this conference has really uh, taken a toll. Uh, I don't know how you're going to, what you're going to do with that in Portuguese. Has taken a toll on, in the positive sense. Of, of what's taken place. And we said before this conference ever started, more important than what was going to be said is what was going to take place. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I really believe that. I really believe that. I, I'm just going to share a few expressions now of our experiences and some, some scripture. And, and then uh, in the afternoon, 
I, this is going to be exciting. We're going to hear your experiences and your your questions too, and and some answers. No, no. I did have a for this conference. I felt like I had a prophetic word that I wanted to uh, share. I submitted it to the to the eldership here, and I just want to put it out there just for discernment. Not I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. No. Uh, I don't do that. I don't much appreciate it when people do do that because that takes the element of discernment totally out of the picture. You know? um, but, I, but I did say, praying to the Lord, I felt very strongly that God is forming a team in Europe as a result of this conference. I, I know there are teams that are functioning, they exist, they're working great, you know? but I feel God wants to consolidate a continental team with relationships that we now have and go from there to grow into new relationships. A team to pray. A team to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God throughout the continent. A team without denominational ties nor denominational barriers. I really feel that it's a team of men from different nations and languages and a interconnected team in which all of the ministry gifts are represented. Huh? I, I, I find that we must face this task before us with open hearts, open minds, open ears, and be alert to receive what the Lord wants to speak to us in this time, in this event. This will be a ministry team throughout Europe without regards to denominations and group identity. Be spiritual and not structural. Christ-centered and not ministry-centered. No? Faith, fellowship, and function. No. Three elements so key, so important in unity and working together. Faith, fellowship, and function. The bread and the loaf. Uh, the guys in Gothenburg will understand what I mean by that. Uh, but in Paul and Corinthians, he talks about how we are one loaf. And that was, a, that was given in the context of the Lord's Supper. And as, the Lord, as they break the loaf, everybody had a piece of bread. But that loaf was never divided. It was just broken. As part of that loaf goes home with you, and part of it goes home with you, and part of that loaf goes home with you, that loaf remains one. To have the bread and the loaf at the same time. No. Christ above all, who fills all in all, the light of Jesus all over this continent. I just wanted to share that with you before we got started. No. Talking about house groups, um, no, I already made the big, first big mistake, house churches. <laughs> it's not a house group. It, we're talking about methods. I'm a bit uncomfortable with the issue because um, when you start talking about methods, you start walking on very thin ice. Uh, and, and you can, uh, I don't mean to, either by overtion or coercion, I don't mean to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to take offense at what I might say or might not say. 
what I might support or what I might inadvertently condemn. I don't plan on condemning anything, but sometimes you can hear it that way. That's not the, that's not the issue at all. And, and in fact, I have such a strong issue on this that I don't think a church should have an import-export department. <laughs> I, I, it's not a business. The church has been a business for too long. Way too long. A church does not need an import-export business or department. But that's what we've seen. We've seen models exported and, and tried to be uh, uh, imitated. And, and we've seen tremendous failures. We've seen part-time partial successes go practically, well, you know, this happens in Latin America anyway. I don't know about here, but, um, you know, the success is, is, is short-lived. And the worst part about it is those models don't produce life. They don't produce life. They produce activities. <clears throat> and that's sad. That's sad. I think basically what you, what you need to do today, and I need to keep track of the time. Uh, Freddy, uh, I saw that you were giving them the tarjeta roja last night, <laughs> the, the red card. Huh? Uh, give, me the, give me the yellow card before the red card, okay? <laughs> yeah. Because... Uh, John knows what I mean. I'm from Latin America, and so the, the red card and the yellow card is only on the football field, you know, They're in church. <laughs> no. uh, and, but I do want to respect the time because we have time, but there is a break in the middle. Okay, yes. right. Okay. Um, I think what you need to do today, and I would really ask you to do this, to join me in, in, in this exercise. Listen, but then seek the Lord. Don't import anything. And if the Lord speaks to you and he says, hey, that, what that gringo said makes sense. Why don't you take a look at it? Okay, then you can take a look at it. But if he doesn't say anything, let it drop right there. Because he's the head of the church. And he knows what he's doing in every situation. And just as we discovered last night, Kuzbaka is not the same as John Shepping. And, and Stockholm is not the same as Manre. Huh? And uh, uh, Vigo is not the same as Porto. No. Uh, God, he's in charge of everything. It doesn't have to look alike. But there might be some principles that he wants to speak into our lives. And so we speak in areas of principles and we set down principles but not rules. Do you understand what I mean? The principles, yes. Rules, no. Okay? For me, there is no manual, a manual, manual, uh, uh, operator's manual for house churches. There isn't one. And I don't pretend to propose one either. Experiences are important, but they're relative. What makes something relative and absolute? Biblical foundations make something absolute. Something that doesn't have biblical foundations but is not against biblical foundations is relative. And there are some relative things that we choose to hold on to a little bit tighter because we can see examples in the scripture even though there's not a teaching in the scripture. Principles can change. Truth never changes. 
Principles are liquid. Truth is solid rock. And we need to understand that God knows more about this than we do. Yeah, okay, so we hear some person talking about house churches, and we go home and say, we really want to do it. No, no, no. What we really want to do is seek God. Maybe for months. Maybe for years. God's not in a hurry. You are. God's not in a hurry. So we just need to see him, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to show a chart. Look, this, this is going to be our first uh, breaking point where you're going to go one way and I'm going to go another way, okay? <laughs> I hope not, but <laughs> uh, this could cause a bit of uh, concern in some people's hearts. I don't pretend to do that. But for you to understand where I am with house churches, you have to understand how I see what's taking place in the church worldwide today. And I have this uh, image that I wanted to share with you. It's a compilation of, of readings and studies and, and meditations um, <clears throat> about the church in three stages. The church in three stages. The first stage is the pre-Christian stage. And the pre-Christian stage is basically from Pentecost until Constantine. That world was not Christian. It was totally, yeah, in about 330. That was the first reality uh, world view that the church had. In a hostile Roman um, atmosphere. The second column that you are going to see is the Christianized world. And I put that in. And three comillas, because there was lots of discussion as to whether it really was Christianized or not. But it was dominated by the presence of church. For long. But we have long since passed that era. The problem is we are not aware of it. But in the world, the worldview today, uh, is there a way you can make that uh, a little bit? Yeah, there we go. Hey, we're doing, hey, we're doing great, guys. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and, and we have long since left the Christianized world as far as the worldview is concerned, okay? You guys left it long before we did. And the United States is still, they, they, they still haven't come into this reality. They will, and it is happening. And in Latin America, we're right at the, we're right at the beginning of this leaving the, the worldview of a Christianized church, a Christianized world. And I see it this way. And, and the reason why I wanted to show this to you is because, for me, the house church was the natural instrument of God in the pre-Christian world and is going to be the natural instrument of God in the post-Christian world. Okay? And it has several, and, uh, in, the, in the first part we was talking about marginality, in the very beginning the church was totally on the margin. I mean, they were foot pushed out constantly to the margin of society. There was no involvement whatsoever in society, much less in government or anything else, right? In the Christian world, the church lived a centralized existence with importance and, rec- and was recognized as a pillar of society. And this is for a long time, a period of time, right? But in the post-Christian world, 
we're returning to a marginal existence. We're not taken into account. And basically, we're living on the fringe of society now. Okay. And, and in each one, number, in some, number, they had very small beginnings. Okay. Um, there was definitely a minority. In many parts of the world during the Christian, war, in the Christian era, the church or the Christian, when I'm talking about church, I'm not talking about the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Catholic church or the Orthodox church. I'm talking about all of them put together in the same sack because that's how the world sees them. No. Yeah. They were an overwhelming majority in many, many countries. I mean, if you, there, were, there were countries in the world that if you weren't Christian, you didn't get a job. Yeah. There were many countries in the world where legislation was taken based on Christian Judeo principles. Okay? But we're in the post-Christian era where Christians return to the minority in a pluralistic society. We're just one of the many. We're not centralized anymore. Identity, Christians were exiles and pilgrims in their original culture. They didn't belong to the world. They didn't belong to the Roman Empire, even. No? But then later, Christians begin to feel very much at home in a culture that they themselves created. They tried to turn the society into a product of the church so that the church felt comfortable within the society. But today... What's happening is Christians, once again, are aliens, exiles, sojourners, foreigners in a culture where they, are no, where they no longer feel at home. That's where we are. That's where we are today. Privilege. <laughs> From the very beginning of the Roman Empire, they had no privileges. I mean, what kind of privileges do slaves have? Most of them were slaves. Not all of them, but they didn't have any privileges. But later, within the Christianized world, Christians enjoyed many, many privileges. I mean, uh, I remember in the United States, churches would get fiscal uh, benefits from donations given to the church, and so they could take it off of their taxes in the, when they paid their taxes to the U.S. government. If they gave donations to the church, they reduced that from their taxes to the... Hey, that's a privilege, man. That was millions of dollars of privilege. But today, Christians are one community among many living in a plural society with no noticeable privileges. Problem is, we don't want to wake up to that fact. Control. In the Roman Empire, the growth of Christianity came through testimony and witness. That was their influence. Testimony, witness, the power of God, miracles, signs, miracles, a healing, a preaching, uh, love was a big element. In that time, love was a big element, big evangelistic element. But later, uh, in the, uh, the churches uh, could exert control over society by legal forms. And by their own involvement. And they could determine the tone of moral and ethical issues of the nations. And did so. And did so. I don't think most of Germany wants to recognize this. 
But the fact that you still can't buy anything in Germany on Sunday morning was because of the Christianized world. As a result of the uh, Reformation in Germany. Yeah. Today they say, no, 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 it's because of... It's a healthier life, it's a better lifestyle, it's, it's better for the workers, everybody. That's not true. That started when the church said, hey, there's not going to be anything open on Sunday. Because they could control that at that time. But today, today Christians once again are relegated to exercising influence through giving witness to our story and its implications. Testimony. Miracles, signs and wonders, and love. Hallelujah. Amen. Love in a world that does not love us. Yes. That's what love's all about. Love in a world that does not love us. No, no, I haven't gotten a mission yet. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> okay, and in mission, <clears throat> God's command and purpose was the mission of the original church. Go and make disciples. And what did they do? That's what they did. That was their whole purpose. They were sharing Jesus everywhere. A big persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, and where did they go? Everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> yeah. And when they're praying up in Antioch, and God says, hey, set apart a couple of guys and send them off. What did they send them off for? Mission. Everything was mission. Luke was so impacted by this. He's a Gentile. He was converted. He's so impacted that he takes his gospel, which is a very evangelistic gospel, and the history of the book of Acts, just to show that this was the true mission of the life of Jesus and the life of the church. That's Luke. Tremendous impact on his life, right? <clears throat> but later, emphasis became, came on, uh, became maintenance. We have to maintain the programs. We have to maintain the buildings. We have to maintain the structure. We have to maintain our influence in society. We have to maintain control over the schools. We have to maintain this. We have, it became a, 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 a program of maintenance, When you're in a program of maintenance, ask any good football coach. When you're in the business of maintenance, you're about to lose the game. And we did. We lost. Because today, once again, the agenda of the church stems from its mission within a contested environment, within a, a hostile environment. We're back to the mission. Go and make disciples. Nobody's told us to go and make churches. Nobody told us to go and make meetings. The last time I read it, Jesus said, I will build my church. You go make disciples. And that's where we are now. And the sense of a movement, church... With its humble beginnings that turned into a movement that spread all over the world with an amazing accuracy and speed. Absolutely incredible. 
But later the church operated mainly on an institutional mode. No? Copying models of administration, training, and finance from the society that surrounded it. The general manager became the pastor. Or I should say, the pastor became the general manager. And he hired a team of managers. And one of those managers was a, was an, was a CFO, a chief financial officer. And he structures the entire operation according to a model that came from the society that surrounded them. They were invaded and overcome. So now you do not have people who are concerned about the poor, about the people that don't have uh, what they need, about people that have an accident and can't pay for the hospital. You don't have that. You have fiscal responsibility. And you have savings accounts and CDs and investments. And you have money that's absolutely... Immobile to serve the real purpose for why God gave the money. That came from the system that surrounded the church. But today, the church once again uh, must become a movement in the direction of God's eternal purpose in a family atmosphere. And that family atmosphere, for me, is the house church. Is the house church. Um, I do want to say two other things and then you can turn that off. One of them is um, there are a lot of us that are not very sad about the passing of the Christianized age. I'm not, I'm not the least bit sad about it. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it happened. Yeah. We were never going to go anywhere as long as we were in control of everything. And the second thing is, we are set today with this worldview to literally do what the early Christians did. Turn the Roman Empire upside down on its head. Because the world's systems are unsustainable. They're not sustainable because they're not built on truth. Some of us, or some of you, or perhaps some of our brothers, will become martyrs in this new system. Some of you, martyrs. And I'm not talking about ostracized people that are left on the... I'm talking about people that lose their lives for the cause of the kingdom and for the kingdom, for the gospel of the kingdom. We're headed in that direction. And in fact, in some parts of the world, it's already a reality. And why is it a reality? It's a reality in some of the eastern part of the world because the western world, which always supported this centralized church, has fallen in its influence to such a point to where it doesn't matter if today they see somebody with, have their head cut off literally on the television screen because nobody can do anything about it. It doesn't matter if you see a person, and, and we, I don't know if you all saw it, but I did, a guy actually burned to death in a cage. He was placed in a cage, 
and set on fire for everybody to see. And nobody could do anything about it. That's the world we're headed into. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, that's where I'm coming from when I start talking about house churches. So uh, you can shut it off now if you want. The church began in the house. Pentecost. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> ah, red, yellow card. Um, I can I can go for a little bit because there's a natural breaking point coming up. Okay, thanks, thanks for the yellow card. <laughs> it was yellow. <laughs> the church the church started in the in the house and, and uh, at Pentecost. You know? um, and and it's it's so interesting. God did never God never did take the church out of the house. God never did take the church off the streets. Man did that. Man did that. And he destroyed the impact of the church in the process. But you know, that wasn't man's strategy. (laughs) It was the devil's strategy. He needs the church off of the streets and out of the houses. And we've got the same enemy, and he's following the same strategy. He's just using different instruments. And we need to, how do you say this in mascarar? Oh, well. Homework for the next session, okay? Right. Yeah, right. We need to reveal what he has. The first attempt was in Acts 5, when the Jewish rulers told the apostles they could no longer preach in that name. The Jewish rulers had to get the church off the street. The second attempt was Constantine. He also, and he thought he was doing God a service. He really did. He thought he was really doing something great. But what he did is he bottled the church up and put a cap on it. He legalized it. But the church wasn't prepared to be legalized. The church was a church of war. They were in warfare. And all of a sudden, they're not at war. And what happens to the troops when they go home? It's so hard for them to be reaccustomed. And the church lost its edge, lost its power. Corruption came in. And started a process that we haven't been able to change yet. We still haven't changed it. And there have been other attempts. uh, For example, to legislate the church out of view. You know, there are some countries today where you cannot have a church meeting out in a park. The fact is, we we tried to do some evangelism in Santiago. Now, we do it all the place. We do it everywhere. We do it on places and there. But we decided to go to one park, and the police threw us out. They told us we couldn't do that. Huh. Legislate the church out of sight. Get it off the streets. Get it out of the houses. Legislate it out of view. 
Taking the street, taking the church off the streets has diminished the impact of the church in society as well as in the lives of the disciples. Taking the church, now listen to me. Taking the church off of the street minimized the impact of the church in the society and in the lives of the disciples. They lost quality as they gained quantity. Tremendous lesson from history, no? Okay, and, and I'm going to finish with this. Here we go. One clarification I do want to make before we get started. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. I've already said this, but I want to repeat it. I'm just going to share with you some of the things that we have lived, some of the things I think the Lord is saying, and you're going to have to review it on your own and come to conclusions under your spiritual directors or fathers or however you look to see what's God saying for here. Okay? I'm presenting a model. But in presenting a model, I'm not degrading nor downgrading any other model. I want you to understand that. I'm not per se against the institutionalized church. God used it in great ways for many years. Many of you are here today because you came through that church. And so did I. I'm not against that. I'm just saying, where's God going now? Yeah. And because I really do believe there is a place for a citywide celebration as the part of the life of the house church. And the only other thing I want to say before we go, you have to understand, when I talk about house church, and you'll understand this more in the second half, I do not consider house churches part of the program of a congregation. No. A house church is a church. And the celebration is part of the life of the house church. To get together once a month or once a week, doesn't matter how often, doesn't matter where. But the model that I'm presenting is the church is that group of disciples that are in a house. And they have spiritual and deep fellowship roots with other house churches. And once in a while, they just get together and blow the roof off with tremendous praise, just like we've done here. Yeah, that has a place. And we'll talk about that in the second hour.